Well, good morning. I want to say that uh, I am so thrilled to uh, be here today uh, as we um, begin this time of looking in God's Word, if you will. If you haven't already, turn with me uh, to John chapter 1, which is our sermon text for uh, this morning. As you're doing that, uh, let me just say thank you for welcoming us. And uh, we've been looking forward to this for some time now. And uh, we're so appreciative of um, your hospitality so far, especially uh, Pastor Gary and, and his wife as well. I uh, just want to praise God publicly for, for Pastor Gary and the love that he has for the Lord, the love that he has for the church, and uh, the love that he has for the Word of God. Uh, I know you already do this, but you should do this uh, all the time. You should count yourself very blessed uh, to have a man of God like uh, Pastor Gary as uh, your pastor. Uh, I bring you greetings this morning from the great metropolis of Tarboro, North Carolina, and um, I also bring you greetings from the, the church that I do have the wonderful privilege of pastoring, uh, Trinity Baptist, and I bring you greetings this morning from my hometown of Mount Airy, or Mount Uri, uh, Mayberry, North Carolina. Hey, we're excited to be with you here this week, and um, as we come together, we're seeking the Lord uh, for revival. We need to be very clear about that word up front here uh, before we begin our time in God's word over the next few days. You know, uh, that word revival, some people, they just kind of throw it around. And I fear that we don't uh, often know what we mean when we use that word. And uh, I just want to say this morning that revival is the, the sovereign work of the Holy Spirit of God. Uh, it's not something that we can manufacture. It's not something that we can manipulate. It's not something that we put on a church sign or schedule on our calendars. Revival is a, is a sovereign work of the Holy Spirit of God. Well, when He comes down to His church and He revitalizes our hearts to give us a deeper reverence for God, uh, a stronger faith in Jesus Christ, and a more pure obedience to His Word. And like I said, the Bible teaches we... We can't, uh, we can't muster that up in our own strength. But the Bible also teaches us that while we don't have control over how the Spirit of God moves, uh, we do find in Scripture that uh, God has chosen to work through the preaching of the Word and in response to the humble prayers of His people. And so what we want to do over these next few days is we want to position ourselves to experience that reviving work of the Spirit of God. Uh, the way that we can put ourselves in a position to experience God's reviving work is by turning to Jesus, by desperately praying to Him, listening to His Word, seeking to have our faith strengthened in Him, and, and seeking to have a more vital obedience to the Word of God. As the late pastor G. Campbell Morgan once said, he said, we, if we want to experience revival, we've got to put up the sails of obedience so that as the wind of the Spirit blows our way, we will be prepared to experience that reviving work from the Holy Spirit. So this morning as we begin to, to consider how to position ourselves for revival, I want us to take a look at John chapter 1 verses 6 through 13. And I want to preach a sermon to you this morning about positioning ourselves for revival through turning to Jesus. Turning 
to Jesus. As you are looking there at John chapter 1, verses 6 through 13, I want to go to the Lord in prayer and just ask for uh, His blessing on our time together in His Word. So would you bow and pray with me? Father, we thank You for this opportunity to gather as Your people. And Lord, we come together today seeking You. And Lord, we want You to work in our lives. Lord, we know that it doesn't take long to uh, being a, a follower of Jesus to realize that it's possible that we can fall asleep in our faith. Uh, Lord, we can fall into a, a slumber, a spiritual slumber in which we uh, are uh, just deaf to the eternal realities of your gospel. Lord, I pray today, knowing that we're all susceptible to that, I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would come down and do a work in our hearts in such a way that we won't be able to explain it other than to say it was God. Lord, I pray today as we look at this passage of Scripture in John's Gospel that you would teach us, that you would enlighten the eyes of our hearts to see the true light who is Jesus Christ and how we must turn to Him. I pray you fill me with your Holy Spirit. Fill us all with your Spirit all for your glory and for our good. We ask and pray it confidently in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And together, God's people said, Amen. Amen. You know, there are two kinds of people in this world. You've probably heard that before. There's one man I heard not too long ago say, you know, there are two types of people in the world. Those who say there are two types of people in the world and those who know better. <laughs> but uh, there is some truth to that, that there are two kinds of people in the world. And uh, I joke with my wife sometimes by saying that there are two kinds of people in the world. There are those who are a morning person and those who are not a morning person. Do we have any morning people here today? Very few of us. Well, no, I, I see some hands back there. So I'm a morning person, right? I love to get up before the sun ever comes up. That's just me, just the way God made me. And on the rare occasion that I'm not up before the sun comes up, when the sun comes up, uh, I am drawn to the light, right? It comes up and I, I wake up and I see it's a new day. It's time for a fresh start. Let's get up and let's get going because I'm a morning person. My wife, on the other hand, she is not a morning person. So when the sun comes up, she's not drawn to the light. Uh, she wants to bury herself deeper into the bed, right? So she's not a morning person, and that's okay. That's the way that God simply made her. But the truth of the matter is, is that when the light is revealed, it does bring those responses out of us. Either we are drawn to the light of a new day, ready to get up and get going, or we want to turn away from the light and we don't want the day to be here yet because we have something else that we want to do. Well, in a similar yet much more serious way, the Bible teaches us that Jesus is the light. And when Jesus is revealed, there really are only two kinds of people in the world. Those who turn away from the true light and those who turn to the true light. 
Here in John's Gospel, John tells us toward the end of his Gospel, in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, the reason that he's writing. And basically, John the Apostle is writing so that we might know who Jesus is, that he's the Christ, the Son of God, and that we would believe in him, and that through believing, we might experience life, eternal life, spiritual life, and abundant life. And so here in John's Gospel, John loves to reveal Jesus to us in many different ways. But one of the favorite ways of John the Apostle to reveal Jesus to us is to reveal Him as, we just read, the light. You'll see there uh, throughout John chapter 1 that he's referred to that. Uh, There in verse 9, he is uh, said to be the true light which gives light uh, to everyone. That is everyone listening to the gospel of John. And this idea of Jesus being the light means this. That Jesus came into the world in order to shine the light and overcome our sin and death. That's what darkness is throughout the the Gospel of John. Uh, It is a domain in which we dwell, left to our own selves, that uh, is defined by sin and then the deadly effects of sin, which is physical death, spiritual death, and eternal death. When the Son of God came into the world, He came as light to overcome our darkness, to conquer our sin and our death through His life, death, burial, and resurrection. What John is telling us here is that as Jesus has come into the world as the light, there really are only two ways to respond to Him. Now in this passage here, we're actually going to see three responses, but we're going to focus on uh, the last two that we see beginning in verse 9. And then at the end, we'll come back and look at verses 6 through 8. So this morning, I want you to focus on these two responses. Number one, in verses 9 through 11, we see that we do have the option to turn away from the true light. We have the option to turn away from the true light. And then there's a second response to the light, and that's in verses 12 through 13. And that is, by God's grace, we can turn to the true light. We can turn to Him. And then once we turn to Him, we find in verses 6 through 8 that there's something that God wants us to do. So as we walk through this passage this morning, what I want God to do is to make it abundantly clear in your mind, are you in a state of turning away from Jesus or are you in a state in which you have turned to Jesus? And depending on your answer to those two questions, uh, we will be able to determine from the text what God would have you to do. So look there with me beginning in verse 9 where we see the first response that is possible for us. In fact, the response that uh, we see is our default if we are left to our own selves. Let's read it again, verses 9 through 11. The Bible says there that the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Verse 11, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. What we find here is a widespread 
global turning away from Jesus. Uh, what we find here is our default, left to our own selves, left to our own brokenness, left to our own fractured sinful lives. This is what we do with Jesus. But let's not rush to the response of rejecting Him or not recognizing Him. Notice there in verse 9 who it is that we are rejecting, who it is that we are turning away from. Again, John says that He is the true light which gives light to everyone who was coming into the world. I think one of the reasons that we, we don't quite grasp or appreciate or are standing amazed in the presence of God is because we don't understand the enormity of turning away from Jesus. You see, when, when we're talking about sinning against this one that's spoken of here, we're not talking about sinning against a, a mere humble carpenter from Nazareth. We're not talking about rejecting a good moral teacher or a wise philosopher or even a, a supernatural miracle worker. No, when we talk about sinning against Jesus, we're talking about the true light. Uh, notice in verses 1 through 3 in John chapter 1, who this is that we have chosen to rebel against. We find there, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. We're not talking about a, a humble carpenter from Nazareth here, folks. We're talking about very God of very God, very light of very light. True God of true God, the second person of the Trinity, whom the rest of the Bible says is the invisible image of God the Father, the exact imprint of His nature. He is the radiance of the glory of God Himself, begotten, not made, and of the same essence of the Father through whom all things were created. So when we talk about sinning against Jesus, we need to understand that the enormity and seriousness of our sin is not measured by how we compare ourselves here horizontally. The enormity and seriousness of our sin is measured by the greatness of the one against whom we've sinned. And that's Jesus, God in the flesh, creator and sustainer of all things. This one, the true light, which gives light to everyone... John the Apostle says, was coming into the world. And as he was coming into the world, verse 10 says, when he arrived, when he was in the world, and the world in which he dwelt was made through him, what was the response of the world? It says there, yet the world did not know him, did not even recognize who he was. The, the maker of all things came into the world that was filled with the people that he made. And when we saw him, we didn't even recognize who he was. And that's because our lives, being sinful and rebellious against God, 
was more in tune with the things of this world than it was in tune with the things of God. Well, some people would look at this and say, well, of course the world rejects Jesus, right? Because in John's Gospel, the world usually refers to lost pagans, people that have hardly any knowledge of God whatsoever. Of course, the pagans that that have no uh, scripture, revelation, uh, nothing of that nature, of course they would not know who he was. But notice what we find there in verse 11. Not that he just came to the world, but he came to his own people. He came to the people of Israel in verse 11. And what does it say? His own people did not, not only did not recognize Him, they did not receive Him. He made the claims of who He was. He told them who He was. They recognized it, and they did not want it. And to not receive Him means to put a stiff arm in His face and outright reject Him. There are only two kinds of people in this world, those who turn away from the true light and those who turn to it. And what we find here is that we all, no matter where we're from, no matter what we've done, no matter what our religious resume is, no matter what our socioeconomic status is, we, left to our own selves and to our own sinful devices, Jesus has come to us and either we did not recognize who He is or we have recognized who He is And we have outright rejected Him. What about you this morning? You know, we're talking a lot about being revived. But there may be some of us here this morning, you don't need to be revived. You need to be vived. You've never come to life in Jesus Christ. And maybe you've you've been a part of this church for a long time. Maybe you've been pretending Uh, among the people here that you do believe in Jesus and that you have received Him, but you know in the, the depths of your heart that you don't love Jesus and you have not been drawn to Him. You're just putting on a show for everyone else. And deep down in your heart, you know, you know that you have given Him the stiff arm and you have either not recognized who this Jesus is or if you do, you have outright rejected Him. I want you to know today, if that's you, if you're sitting there in that pew, and you maybe have been here a lot, and you've heard the gospel preached by Pastor Gary and others, Jesus has been standing right in your midst. And I don't want, God doesn't want, nobody in here that's a true believer wants you to miss out on who Jesus is. You see, this Jesus is the one who can save you. He is the one who laid down His life as the true light to expose the darkness of your sin and to deliver you from the domain of darkness and eternal separation from God. What we find in John's Gospel, though, and this is what you need to hear if you are in a state of rejection of turning away from Jesus, that to reject Jesus in the end will mean to be rejected by Jesus. John 3.36 says this, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on Him. There are only two kinds of people in this world. When the light, the true light, Jesus Christ is revealed, there are those who turn away. You might ask, well, maybe you've been a believer for a long time. 
Maybe you came to faith in Jesus when you were five or six years old and, and you just you read these things in Scripture about the whole, just this global rejection of Jesus and you say, how could that even be? Uh, how could it, it even be possible for people to, to not know this Jesus that I know? Why is it that my neighbor down the street, why is it that person that I, I've brought to church with me before, why is it that they continually turn away from Jesus and reject Him? Well, a little bit later in John's Gospel, in John chapter 3, verses 19 and following, Jesus tells us exactly why we turn away from Him. It says there that this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. You see, that's what happens. When we shine the light of Jesus Christ by speaking His Word and doing good works in His name, if a person is lost and the Spirit of God is not working in that person's heart, they love their sin much more than they have any love for the Savior. That's what happened to me. Uh, you, you heard it a little bit earlier that I didn't come to faith in Jesus until my late teen years. And I have, a, I have two brothers. One, one of my brothers, my youngest one, his name is Andrew. And when Andrew was 15 years old and I was about 17, uh, Andrew came to faith in Jesus. Now, I didn't know what in the world was going on. This, this guy that used to be with me, kind of on the party scene and, and uh, you know, just steeped in, in sin, all of a sudden he didn't want any of that anymore and all he could talk about was Jesus. And for two years, my brother would come to me almost every single day and he would bring his Bible and he would sit down beside of me and he would say, I want to tell you about Jesus. And then, you know, just to tolerate him, I'd say, okay, well, tell me what you got today, right? And as he would begin to share the gospel, almost every day, the light was being shined on my darkness. And I didn't want it because I loved my life of sin. I loved putting myself first. I loved running over people in my past so that I could get my way. I loved to deceive and I loved to lie. And that light was being shined on me. And even though that light was the only thing that could give me eternal life and hope and salvation, I continued to reject it until, until the Spirit of God got a hold of me and began to work in my heart to show me the reality of this light coming into the world to save me. And it led me to respond to Jesus not by rejecting Him, not by turning away from Him, but by turning to Him, which is the second response that we see here in this passage. Praise God, there's another option. Praise God that, that God didn't leave us in our sin and our darkness to, to just perish, but in His love, He has worked in such a way that the only response that we would have had left to ourselves becomes a, a non-factor when... He is involved, and that's the response that we see in verses 12 and 13. There's a big but there in verse 12. But, but, even though there was global widespread rejection of Jesus, but, verse 12, to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. And so what John says here is that the second option to respond to Him is to receive Him. We've got to be careful here, especially in the rural south. I've ministered in the rural south, and I've seen this over and over. I've seen it in my own life before I came to know Jesus. You'll hear a lot of people say, oh, I've received Jesus. I've received Him. 
received, done, done did that a long time ago. Done that, done that way back. I received him. I received him. Friend, the question is really not whether you received Jesus. It's which Jesus did you receive? Received him as what? Well, a lot of people, when they say they received Jesus, what they really mean, they won't say this, but what they really mean is that they, they, got, a, they got some hell insurance. Make sure that I, I did what I was supposed to do so that when I die, I don't end up in the flames of hell because that would be terrible, right? So let me make sure that I, I walk an aisle or pray a prayer or, or get in the waters of baptism and make sure that I, I do that. And, and there are a lot of people walking around thinking that, that that's what it means to receive Jesus. And they've received Him and then they've continued to live their life as though they had no Lord as though they had no Savior who set them free from sin. And so what they're doing, and what I did for years, was I said that I received Jesus, but then I said how I could live my life. I told Jesus how I was going to live my life. And friend, if today you are telling Jesus how you're going to live your life, and if you are living your life your way with no regard for God's way, you haven't received Him. You haven't. The question is not, have you received Him? It's which Jesus have you received? Received Him as what? And that's what John tells us. But to all who did receive Him, and then notice what he says, who believed in His name. And we don't quite recognize this in our day, but it would have been recognized very much so in first century and before that and a little while after it. What's in a name, right? When biblical times, for the most part, when people gave names or people came to be known by a certain name, it was inseparably connected to their character, right? So sometimes a person would receive that name when they were born as kind of a trajectory for the rest of their life that they wanted for their kids. That's why we named our children the way we named them. Kairis is the Greek word for grace. Josiah is my one of my favorite Old Testament kings, and we want them to grow up to know the grace of Jesus Christ. And we want our little boy to become a, a reformer like, like King Josiah. Their names have meanings. And the name of Jesus is not just some name that's thrown around. The name of Jesus represents something. It represents who He is in the full measure of that truth. The name of Jesus represents the infinite panorama of the manifold perfections of His character. Who is this Jesus? And this Jesus is the Son of God who came down into this world, who lived the life that we cannot live and that we don't want to live, that life of perfect, righteous obedience to the will of God. He lived that life that we cannot live and that we will not live. And then He went to a cross where He died a death that we should have died. He, there on the cross, He took our sins upon Himself so that the punishment that should have come to us fell not on us but on Him as our substitute. There on the cross, He bore the full wrath of God that I should be experiencing for eternity. There he, he poured out His blood for me in the forgiveness of my sins so that I might go free from the penalty of sin. 
And then he was buried, and on the third day, he rose from the dead victoriously and conquering all of our sin, all of our suffering, all of our sorrow, and our enemy, Satan himself. This is the one who was ascended back to heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father, and the one who now on this very day looks to all of us and says, Receive me. Turn away from your sin and receive Him. As He is revealed in the Word of God. And friends, what happens when we do that? Well, if you've, if you've received Him, you know what happens. John tells us here two things that happen. We get a change of status and we get a change of nature. Number one, we get a change of status. To all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. That word right there, it's a word that's been discovered in legal documentation of adoption during this time. And I think that's what John is getting at. Later in John's Gospel, he records Jesus telling the disciples, I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come again to you. Because through His life, death, burial, and resurrection, when we receive Him as He is, we get a change of status. We no longer belong to the domain of darkness, but because of what Jesus has done through faith in Him, He transfers us into the kingdom of, uh, of Himself, which is the kingdom of light. And so when we come to Jesus, we get to know God now as our Father. We get to know Him as the One who loves us and cares for us and protects us and provides for us. We are no longer under the, the domineering power of our father, the devil, which he was before we came to faith in Jesus, John 8 tells us. We receive a change of status where we get the right now, the authority, the power to be called his children. But it's not just a change of status that we receive. But the second thing John says happens is we get a change of nature. We don't just receive the right to be called children of God. We receive the right. He gives us the right to become children of God. That is new nature language that when we come to faith in Jesus, we not only get to know God as Father, but we get to become like the one who is our Father. And what does that look like? It looks like we begin living a, a life a lifelong process of, of putting off the, the old sinful ways, that old man that has now been crucified with Jesus and walking in a, in a newness of life to become like the one who gave His Son to change our hearts. When we turn to Him, when we believe in His name, He changes our status and He changes our nature. Now, just in case you're wondering why that would happen and how that would happen. Have you ever thought about it? Why? Why me? Right? Why me? I feel so often like the Apostle Paul who said he was the chief of sinners, the least of the least, the worst of the worst. And I have had so many times just right before the Lord in His presence where I, I just say, God, why me? Why would you save me? Why would you do that? And you know God answers that question in Scripture. Why? Because He wanted to. Because He loved me. Because He wanted to have grace on me. And that's exactly what we see there in verse 13. 
Those who receive Him, they do so not because there was anything worthy in us or powerful enough in us to receive Him, but we receive Him because, as verse 13 says, we were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but we were born of God. This is what Jesus will go on to say in John chapter 3 to Nicodemus. He says, nobody can enter the kingdom of God. Nobody can see the kingdom of God unless they're born from above. You see, we're so bad off. We're so, our sin is so bad that left to ourselves, in, in our own sinful devices, what it takes to, to save us is a complete do-over. You have to be born not just once. You've got to be born a second time by the Holy Spirit of God. And when that happens, that's when we receive Jesus and become the children of God. But notice not, not only the why that happened, that was because God and His, His grace chose to give us this new birth, but, but He tells us the how. How did it happen? Or more importantly, He tells us how it did not happen. He gives a threefold not here. He says it was not of blood, it was not of the will of the flesh, and it was not of the will of man. We'll take them one at a time. It was not of blood. What does that mean? He's talking about your family tree. It wasn't because your daddy or your daddy's daddy or your, your grandpa's daddy had something to do with Jesus that you got saved. It's not because you had a great, great, great grandmother and because she had faith in Jesus, that now means that you're going to get into the kingdom of God. No, no, that's not the way it works. As I've heard it said before, you know, God doesn't have any grandchildren. He only has children. He doesn't have any nieces and nephews either. He doesn't have any cousins. You see, you're not going to go to heaven based on my faith. And you're not going to go into the kingdom of God based on your mama's faith or your daddy's faith or your son's faith or daughter's faith or because somebody in your family has something to do with God. There are people in my family who think that they're going to go to heaven because they have a preacher in the family. That's what they think. And that's what the people in Jesus' day thought too, at least, at least among the Israelites, that just because they were in the family line, that that meant that they were going to get into the kingdom of God. Jesus tells us here through John the Apostle, it's not of blood. Oh, by the way, it's not of the flesh either. He says, not only can nobody in your family save you, you can't save you either. There is nothing. The Bible teaches us that, that we are so radically lost and radically depraved in our lost state that our heart does not have even the slightest inclination to raise a finger to do the will of God. If we are left to ourselves, we are hopeless and helpless. It is not of blood and it's not of the flesh. And oh, there's one more here. It's not of the will of man. So not only can you not save yourself, not only can nobody in your family save you, but nobody else can save you, including a preacher. He says here, it's not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, not of the will of man, but of God Himself. And friends, God today has revealed Jesus Christ to us. And what He's calling for is a response. A response to not turn away from Him, but a response to turn to Him by His grace and for His glory. We said that there are two responses here, only two kinds of people in the world. But we did mention at the very first of this sermon that there's actually three responses here. I hope you saw it. Yes, there are those who turn away from Jesus there in verses 9 
through 11. There are those who turn to Jesus by His grace in verses 12 through 13. But what about those who do turn to Christ? What does God want from us? I think what we see here is that exemplified in a man by the name of John, not John the Apostle, but John the Baptist. The third response here that we see in this passage is that when we stop turning away from Jesus and we turn to Jesus by His grace, God wants us to start testifying about Jesus. And that's what we see in John the Baptist. Notice there in verses 6 through 8, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. Now, I don't want to take away from the importance of of John the Baptist in, in biblical history and how his witness is required to identify Jesus for who he really is. But the application here is this, that once we come to faith in Jesus, God is inviting us into... Uh, this exercise of now going and telling people about Him, telling people, hey, we're not the light, we don't have it together, but we know the light, and we're going to bear witness to Him, we're going to testify about Him. You know, we're talking about this week, revival. And you want to know how to tell if revival takes place in a church? You want to know how to, to measure whether or not revival takes place Over these next few days, we're not going to be able to determine whether or not the Holy Spirit brought revival here. When will we be able to tell? In the days and weeks and months and years to come. Because I can tell you this, when the Holy Spirit of God grabs a hold of people's hearts and wakes them up from our spiritual slumber, people will not be able to stop us from talking about Jesus. When you see a church that can't just, just can't stop talking about Him. You see an individual who, who just can't stop speaking about Jesus. That person is filled with the Holy Spirit. That person has been revived by the, the mighty work of God. So, all oh, this morning, as we begin to speak about positioning ourselves for revival, who are you? What kind of response do you have to Jesus? This morning, would you say... I thought that I received it. I thought I did. But brother, there, there's been no change in my life. I'm still in love with my sin. There's been no freedom or victory over sin. I, I, I don't love the Lord. I don't love His Word. I can't stand being among His people. And today you've seen Jesus for who He really is. He's the light who came to expose your darkness. He came to conquer your sin and conquer your death. And today, what you need to do, if that's you, right now, right now, right here, right now, trust Him. Cast yourself upon Him. Place your faith in Him. Run to Him. Receive Him as He really is. The Son of God who laid down His life to give you eternal life. But for the rest of us here this morning, you would say, well, I've turned to Him. I have. Oh, but I want to know Him more. I want to make Him known better. This morning it's time to get serious about that. It's time to say like we mean it because we do. Lord, here I am. Anything you ask of me, anything you want of me, I want to do it. Foremost, now that I've turned to you by your grace, by your power, I want to testify about it. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for this glorious time in Your Word. What a wonderful Savior. Your Son is. 
He's the true light. He's the light that truly overcomes our darkness. And God, I pray on this day that we would get serious about turning to You, testifying about You. In this time, Lord, of, of response to Your Word, I pray that every single person in here would be able to say, my response is, is that I turn to You, Jesus. Take my life. I surrender it all. Do with it what You will. Pray You work in only the way that You can, Father. By Your Spirit, we ask and pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.